You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Bracken, you called me in a frenzy yesterday. Just a random Sunday midday frenzy. You said it was, I know you value your weekends, Kirk. This is how you opened up the conversation. I don't even think it was a hello. It was, I know you you value your weekends, Kirk, but this was just too important. I had to call you. And I was was anticipating what you were going to say next. It couldn't have been at all. Like if you took 20 guesses, it couldn't have been one of those 20. Not even close. No. What was the first thought that crossed your mind? Like that first nonsensical thought. What did you think I was calling about? I figured it actually had something to, well, I figured it was workout related for you. I think I said this is running related. A running related emergency. Yes, I think that's a big time emergency. So I figured that, but I figured it was going to be the nuances of like, I don't know. You were were just going to waffle over some quick decision based on what workout you were going to do. And that was going to be that or something like that. But I mean, it wasn't along those lines, but it was not, not along those lines. So fill us in because what you discovered yesterday, one, makes me feel a little better about something and two kind of mind blowing to be honest and, and this is only going to move the needle Truly for some of you yeah really it was kind of nuts so tell 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 what's so important i'm gonna lay some backstory first in the last three weeks i've been feeling a bit better physically so i i you know i've talked about i've just been really rocked physically i'm not responding to things i'm getting really obnoxiously sore after things it just doesn't make sense. And I don't want to get into the what's and the why's right now because whatever, it's not important. But mm-hmm. I reintroduced speed sprinkles, Kirk, which I love is catching on as a thing. It really We're is. We're getting tagged in people's speed sprinkles. And that just warms my heart. <laughs> Such a funny phrase. It's cute. People like cute things. I was doing some work and I wanted to do speed sprinkles, but I just couldn't run fast enough. And I was setting the treadmill to five minute pace and just trying to run 30 seconds at a time at five minute pace. And it was so demanding. And I tried to do some aerobic threshold intervals on the treadmill two weeks ago. And it was just so hard, Mm -hmm. so hard. And I was slowing down to trying to do perceived effort. And I always think that my treadmill is 20 to 40 seconds per mile off depending on the speeds. I think it's probably like 20, but some days I'm like, man, I'm 40 seconds slower than what I think I should be running. And it's still difficult, but maybe I just suck at treadmills. Anyway. So I went out and I did a, a workout I call five, four, three, two, one, which is 5k tempo run 4k assault bike tempo, 3k row tempo, 2k skier tempo, and then 1000 feet of vert. Oh, nice. It's basically just mixed modality, a lot of higher end high aerobic, low lactate threshold stuff. I can't handle the pounding of running, so I'm splitting it up on other modalities. And I haven't made it through the workout yet. I like that. And by the way, for frame of reference, now Bracken casually threw out 
right? Five, just put the treadmill to five minute pace and holding it for 30 seconds. Just so you understand, a lot of you think that uh, is fast and it is fast, but for a highly trained, skilled runner running five minute mile pace on a treadmill for 30 seconds, you should be asleep. You really should for yeah. how, for, for your top end metrics. So just to like put that into frame, like some people be like, no crap, you had a hard time. It's five minute mile pace. That should be a drop in the bucket. My 5k PR is 502 per mile. Correct. Exactly. So, so I should be able to hold that for three straight miles if, if I was in better shape right now, but so 30 seconds should not be difficult. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that it was like exhausting me. It was that the stride I was using was so above and beyond the stride I should be using at five minute pace. Right. Like at five minute pace, I should be running a fast, sustainable stride. And I felt like I was almost sprinting. Yep. Like driving my arms, no flailing my legs, no efficiency. Yep. Felt like I was running 800 meter pace almost. So anyway, I was really, really fed up and frustrated with these kind of things. So during that workout, I did the 5K outside. And my first mile was like, and I was trying to run comfortably fast. And I went like 546, 555, 534. Those were my miles nice. out and back on a relatively flat bike path. And it ended up getting hard. That 534 hurt because... 534 is quick for me right now. Nicely done. That's a good workout, by the way. Good work. Just to start. That's Thank good. You. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And and I'm jogging back to the house. Like, I'm not totally destroyed because I shouldn't be. I wasn't time trialing. But I just ran 534 pace, which means I probably started the mile at 544 and finished at 524 mm-hmm. pace. So I ran 534 for a mile at the end of two miles, having already done work. And my stride felt super compact. And only 34 seconds per mile faster, I felt like I was all out sprinting on my treadmill. So it's just driving me crazy. And I, out of anger on Saturday morning, I was about to do the same workout, but on a treadmill this time because I wanted less pounding. Sunday and I just morning. typed in right? Sunday morning. Yep. Nor- yeah, Sunday morning. Nordic track, incline trainer, speed wrong. <laughs> and then like incorrect and faulty, just a bunch of keywords and saw what came up. And there's a couple threads on actually the uphill athlete private training forum. So I couldn't read the threads or I couldn't click on things, but I could see that other people were having some issues and they were talking uphill, but I went back and was scrolling further. And I found someone that was not Nordic track related, talked about at their gym, depending on which treadmill they get on, their paces aren't accurate. And they said, here's how I calculate. I calibrated one of the treadmills at my mine at my house. And then I found one at the gym. So And they talked about how they did it. And so I did that with my treadmill. I measured the exact length of the entire belt all the way around and then set it to the pace I wanted to run at. And for this one, I just set it at six minute miles and then counted 100 revolutions of the track and timed how long that took. So did you like put a mark on the track, a piece of tape or something that you could count? I made a chalk mark on the track a chalk at the end of it, measured mark to mark, rotated it, measured to the next mark, rotated, measured it back to the original. And then you kept a piece of tape on there to count the revolutions of the belt, or you could read the seam or something. Made one big chalk mark on there actually, because the tape wouldn't stick to my treadmill when it was going at pace. It would start to flare up a little, then it would hit the guard and it would come off. So I made a big chalk mark and I just counted 100 reps and I timed it and I did it three times. And it was like one. 101.5, 101.4, 101.46. 101.5, 101.4, 101.46. So I wasn't miscounting. I did it three times for accuracy. Mm-hmm. And so it was one minute, one second. And I think I counted it 0.5. I did the slowest just to mm-hmm. 
or I mean, I took the the high end of the average, whatever it was. And then you convert the distance and you multiply that times a hundred. So I converted the, um, so then you took the, the inches, multiplied it by 100, converted it to miles, and you found out how many miles did I cover in one minute and one second, and how long should I have gone, and then you find the difference. Now, you're going to lose pretty much everybody there. But, I mean, as far as like actually following the steps, but you can look it up online and find this calculator, correct? Correct. And maybe we'll post a link. But the, okay. the the broad strokes is that I measured the length of my track and then timed how long it took to do 100 rotations of that track and then compared that to how long it should have taken at six minute per mile pace and you find the degradation and then you convert to how many miles per hour is that? Correct. So it's right. It's actually fairly simple. It sounds complex, but this is a pretty simple. Pr- I'm following you. Yes. But- um, it might be hard for some people to wrap their minds around. So what did you discover? Well, the first time I did, I set it to six minutes per mile, which is 10 miles per hour. So it should have been traveling at 10 miles per hour. My first time through 11.9 miles per hour. And it blew my freaking mind. And I distrusted it immediately. Okay. So I went back, I got a new tape measure and I measured with centimeters Mm-hmm. And then did conversions based off of that and did the same thing. Timed it three times to make sure I was counting correctly. 11.86 miles per hour. So negligible difference. Negligible. So you're talking six minute mile on your treadmill is roughly equating to 515 per mile. 518. I don't know what that comes out to exactly. Well, 12 miles per hour. One tenth of a mile per hour slower than five minute pace. Is that what it is? So six miles. So so six minute miles is really like five oh five pace on your treadmill. That's what it said. At six minute miles, five oh five. At worst, it's like five twelve. See, and this drives me nuts. Hearing this, it drives me nuts because you know you have to put a lot of good faith in your treadmill. You just hop on and trust that it says what it is showing you. And now I don't know where this gentleman got this math from. We also have to trust this formula as being accurate. But science, it sounds like, is science. I don't really know. Math is math. It's accurate. They just did the, yeah. I mean, it's just okay. a standard formulation formula for calculating distance, okay. speed. Okay. So we trust the math here. So it's just like you hop on and you just trust it. And so many times we like hinge on our metrics on treadmills to gauge our fitness. And it's like, is any treadmill perfectly accurate other than maybe like a woodway in which you or or something where you're self-propelling um i don't know so it's just like i don't know why but it just bothers me and it also makes me feel better because my metrics on my nordic track are often uh anti-climactic we'll call it so continue yeah well and i believe it's gotten worse over time because as the belt stretches a little bit in theory each travel is a little longer than it used to be but if the rotations are happening at the same uh, revolutions per minute, you're actually traveling further distance. So I think over time it can become worse and I need to now go test it at several different paces and find out. And several different inclines. Well, and then the incline thing is it's whole other bag of worms. Yeah. But almost two miles per hour off, almost one minute per mile off. So what it does is a, it puts in perspective, some workouts I've struggled on in the past. I actually wasn't struggling. Mm Mm-hmm. And B, when I was trying to hit certain paces and then corresponding my heart rate, I was just so depressed coming back from 
from work, from surgery and things like, what am I doing? Cause I was doing everything on the treadmill to avoid pounding. Well, maybe I was doing a little better than I thought I was doing. And it makes sense why five minute pace felt so uncomfortable because even if it's only half of the distance, let's say it's by the time you get down to five minute pace, it's only half is off. It's 4.30 pace. You know, the opposite of this can can happen too. And I don't mean to call out this athlete, but I'm going to mention her name because she's been an athlete of mine. We've been working together for a while. Uh, Heather Miles, who is funny. Heather Miles won one of our first free months of coaching giveaways when we first started this podcast and she's still on board. So we've been working together for like two plus years, but she has a Nordic track and she would get on there and, and she'd be like, Oh, 4,300 feet of vert in, a, in 60 minutes for my casual midweek long run hunt and vert. And then she was hitting these metrics and like, I'm running, you know, six miles an hour at 15% incline. And, and eventually after we got comfortable for the first few months, I'm like, your treadmill, correct? Is it calibrated? Cause I can't run 4,500 feet of vertical gain in an hour all out. And you're doing it casually. Um, and anyways, so on her Nordic track and she did, I think she had somebody come in and recalibrate it, which I believe can be done. But it was the opposite of that. Her metrics were like puffing her up. I was like, I can't believe these metrics this woman's putting out. Like I wanted to believe, mm -hmm. but I was like, it doesn't correlate to her flat times. Anyways, um, also that happened as well. So like maybe even just a reminder, like my guess is you could have a, a treadmill repairman who does specialize or at least Nordic track is in their realm and probably fix that calibration. I'm sure on the back end, there's a way to do that, right? I, I don't. Yes, you could. I don't know how it would have to happen because you'd have to get into the actual software and adjust the variables. Well, Heather Miles, reach out because I know that it was it. She got hers fixed and her metrics have looked great ever since. So I'm just very, very curious about that. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about this in the past with the 1515 with that treadmill challenge. Oh. Um, you and I can't get anywhere close. Like I've done 171 on a star track and I've never got above 155 on a Nordic track. Mm-hmm. But this was my first definitive proof. And I, and again, I, I measured three times. I counted three times per experiment and I experimented twice just to make sure. And I had Lisa come down for the second one. I said, tell me I'm not crazy. Hold mm -hmm. my measurement here. Double check this. And yeah, 1.9 miles per hour faster than what the display says it's going. Well, at least you don't feel crazy. And the first thing I said to you and you told me is like, I'm really glad you told me this because I've been feeling like <laughs> shit about every workout, especially climbing workouts on my Nordic track. I said, yeah. I won't even look at the metrics anymore. I just know how hard I'm working. And clearly my flat running is going very well. And so like my fitness is good. And I'm just like, I won't even do a flat workout on my Nordic track. It's like three to 6% if I want to run in quotes, flat intervals. So then it takes pacing out and I just go off of effort because it's driving me so nuts. And so hearing that, I was like, I know my treadmill's off. I don't know how off, but like even two years ago, running at three miles per hour at 30% incline, I'm not going to say it was easy, but I almost held that pace for my entire 60 minute max vert challenge. Now I'm barely mm -hmm. hanging on to that pace for 15 minutes. Right. And yeah. so I'm like, this can't be right. My fitness is as good or better than it was. And so I think over time, mine has become a little miscalibrated as well. And Maybe it happens. Mine hasn't been calibrated in four and a half years since I got it. But nonetheless, I just think that's such a worthy, I bet you there's dozens of people out there who want to do that with their treadmill now. And it could yeah. prove, it, you know, it could tell you've been running slower than you think. 
could also tell you you've been running faster. It could work, it could work both ways. You got to be open to any answer you get. Yeah. So then what I did right after is I told you I was going to run one five-minute mile. Mm-hmm. So I set it to, uh, what is it, 558 I can get to or whatever that closest to that is I can Probably get. Probably like 10.2 miles per hour or something, 10.1. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was 10.1 or 10.2 and that would be like 5.0, maybe, you know, right around 5.0. I set it flat, which I almost never do. And I couldn't run on that. So I bumped it up to half my, to half percent incline. And then I ended up bumping it up to one. So I ran at 1% incline at like 10.1 miles per hour and ran a mile. And it felt, if I had to guess, like 5.10, 5.15 pace. It wasn't quite a five minute mile, but it was like 45 to 50 seconds faster per mile than what my, what my display was saying. I'm just surprised at how off that, that just leads me to believe that there's probably some deviation from center on most treadmills. Yeah. I would have to be. I, I, I ran upstairs, Lisa, what are you doing? I said, I'm calling Kirk. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Call Kirk. I was just eating lunch. You got me at a good time and, and I'll make time for you on my weekends, Bracken. My world is totally in shambles. You know what I was trying to figure out? Not figure out, but what I can't figure out is one, like my incline. I only do incline quality work on my Nordic track right now. I'm not doing flat quality work. And it's just like my incline metrics are not translating to my flat metrics, but I'm still getting six plus thousand feet of vert a week. And so I can't believe I've let my climbing slip that much. So one, it confirms, I believe that my belt is probably off more than I think. Um, so I find some comfort in that. But the other thing was just took a video. I did this long tempo ladder yesterday, mm-hmm. um, 15, 12, nine, six, three, uh, minutes all with three minutes jog recovery, roughly between seven and seven thirty pace for the jog recovery. So I kept on the horn, but anyways, just took a video of me running. She was doing a tempo ladder of her own on the same loop we run by my house. And, and I've been posting these workouts of the week, um, which people are stealing left and right. And that's exactly what I was hoping. So I'm glad steal mm-hmm. away. That's why I'm posting them guys. Um, but anyway, she took a video of me and I'm looking at myself in this video on that she took. And I was like, if I had to guess, I look like I'm running like six minute pace in this video. I can't figure yeah. it out. I was running four it's video. I was running 450 pace in that video. I, I looked at my watch. It said 450 pace. And I'm trying to figure out like my cadence isn't high. It's like something with like you know, running is a controlled fall and my body is really good at propelling itself through space with its own inertia. But my metrics don't, I don't look fast visually. And I'm like, every time I run, I like, I'm running fast and I don't look like I'm running fast. And I'm trying to figure out why that is. And I'm not comparing myself to like an Eliud Kipchoge because my goodness, but those guys never really look like they're running that fast either. And so I don't know if it's an efficiency piece I've picked up recently or if it's like, my biomechanics, I can't figure it out. But like, I know a lot of you probably see yourself running. You're like, I don't look like I'm running that fast. Like when you see yourself yeah. in video at a race or you see, you think you're running so fast. And I looked at that and I was like, no, I know I'm running fast. My watch just said 450 pace. It was on my last three minute rep. I averaged 452 pace for that three minute rep. And she was filming that last rep. Yet it looked like I was like six minute pace. What What do you think? What do you make of that? Is that just the common thing? That's how we all look at ourselves? Or is there something to like running form and style? Well, they say the camera adds 10 pounds. I think it also removes like 20 to 40 seconds of pace somewhere in there, maybe a minute per mile pace. The other day I was doing 20 on 10 off speed sprinkles mm-hmm. and I was running them fast. 
And I looked in the mirror. I have a mirror in front of me and on the side of me. And I was watching my form. I'm like, I'm flying. And I said, Lisa, one of these next couple of reps, could you come down and film a rep or two? And she did. And I looked at it and I looked like I was running like tempo pace. Like, I was just like, what? I'm not even posting this. 20 seconds at that stride looked like a joke. And so there's something about that. It just, I think when you see videos of people running fast on Instagram, because you see these, you know, guys and girls who are in their, their vapor flies and just flying down mm-hmm. the road. I think they're legitimately running like low fours, like running super fast. The second thing is, unless you're short with very fast turnover, you just can't look fast on, on video. Yeah. I think that's probably part of it too. I don't know. I think there's an, a piece like when you can tell somebody's physically visibly trying to run fast and run hard and they look at like, they're like, really like, look at them moving their turnovers high. It's almost like, and I'm not saying I'm an efficient runner because I certainly am not as efficient as many, but I feel like for me, when I'm running efficiently, it never translates visually. It's like, if you were watching somebody physically in space doing it, not on video, you'd be like, oh, I can see how quickly they're covering distance based on how fast they're moving compared to their background. But in a video, it just, mm-hmm. it loses its luster. It's just a bizarre phenomenon, yeah. but I feel like it's more happens the more efficient you are. Like it just doesn't look that fast when somebody's running asleep. It just doesn't. Yeah. You see it on the track all the time. You got guys run go out there and run a 10K, and these guys are going out in like 440 pace for a slow 10K to start looking asleep. Oh, they're going out slow, and it's a tactical race at 440 pace. Do you know what most people would look like running 440 pace? They'd look like they're running for their lives, and here these people look like they're out jogging. So I don't know. I don't even know what point I'm making with that other than the fact that you talked about how fast you are running compared to how you feel running. And I was feeling fast and then somehow looking slow visually. And it's just like a weird thing. So give yourself some grace if that's the case. Cause I almost thought the same thing. I was like, I can't, am I even going to use this? Cause I look like I'm jogging, but I wasn't right. bizarre. That's all bizarre. I think of all the people I know who I've watched just even in, let's say OCR live streams, the people who look fast are either short or have a high back kick. If you're not one of those two things or both, you just don't look fast on film. Like John Albin never looks fast when he's running. Even downhills, he doesn't look fast. He's just moving away from people. Logan Broadbent looks like the fastest runner in the field, yeah. hands down, every every time I see him race. Yeah, Ryan Woods never looks fast while he's running because he has a low back kick. Yeah. But he's pulling away from people. Forrest Bo- uh, Bogue, I think, looks so, so, fast, so fast. So fast on camera. He has a high back kick, and he's he's a shorter athlete. Gelati's quick turnover in all his videos he posts, which I think he posts on Fast Forward a little bit. But Oh, he fast So fast, yeah. But really, yeah. Just uh, He's got that nice, tight, compact stride. But Lindsay Webster does not look fast on film. She has a low back kick. Mm-hmm. I think Ryan Atkins looks pretty fast. He has a higher, he has a longer back kick. Just interesting. I think part of it's just stride. It's such a heady sport that we're we are in, isn't it? Like as we're chatting this out and talking about these dumb little things we're breaking down, and then the head games you play with your pacing on the treadmill, only to find out it wasn't really you're not crazy. It's just uh, I don't think the sport will ever not be heady, even for the best of the best. It's going to be a cerebral sort of mind game as much as anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Constantly in your head. Well, this preamble went on a little longer than planned, so I think we do this, Bracken. I'm just going to chat out my thoughts here mid-episode. Let's abandon our topic of the day because we wanted to have one more chat before we got to our topic of the day 
aside from your treadmill, which is sort of entering off-season training um, and base building again on the running public training plan. I think we should touch on that today, give people that who are either on the plan or considering getting on the plan, and we'll push this Tuesday episode off to next week, which will be more timely if we push it off a week or two anyways based on World's Toughest Mudder coming up, hint, hint. So um, shall we talk about maybe the plan instead? Yeah, and it's not solely the plan either, because anyone who's not training for Abu Dhabi Trifecta World Championships, uh, World's Toughest, or a fall marathon of some sort is about ready to enter off-season time. Woo! It's my favorite time of year. I've been in off-season. So good. I've been in off-season time for like three months somehow already, but on my own. <laughs> yeah, so so I posted in the Running Public Facebook group yesterday that this is the last week of our season. We are time trialing this week and then next week starts, we're going to deload and then we're going to get to work building. Mm -hmm. And that for most people is a really almost relieving, energizing time. Unless you've not been through an off season before. If you've not gone through an off season, it can be a little, I don't know, disheartening, disorienting, or just something you kind of dread because you're not sure what do I even do here? So we're going to talk about what we're about to do here. Yeah. And for example, like on this last week of uh, the plan before we go into like base building off season modes, like Tuesday, for those of you not on the plan that can't see it would be like an optional mile time trial or 5k time trial, whatever excites you more, go out and hit something. Or treadmill challenge. Or treadmill challenge, go out and hit something shorter, harder, spicier, painful, get a metric on there. So you have comparatives for future time trials and to pass time trials and all of that. And then mm -hmm. what is the weekend? Saturday. I think there's there's at least three, if not four options. Uh, max gain is an option. Yep. Long run time trial, which we've done throughout this season. Yep. is If you have, want a long run time trial, now is your time. You get back out there and hammer your long loop as hard as you can. Change up, which is, I believe, three. it's either two hours or three hours for max vert you can gain outside. Yep. And then... Maybe that's it. Yeah. Longer time trial point being. Yeah. Short time trial Tuesday, long time trial Saturday. Find out where you wound up this year. We time trialed as early as February last year. So, I think so. Over, over eight months, where have we progressed or regressed to? And then start the off season and then begin your build. Yeah. And that time trial is an interesting one because no doubt if you're following our plan and you're recovering in between pro appropriately, like you're getting better, like there's no way around it. But then you, you also find out some of you are race heroes that are on our plan or not on our plan and you're racing all the time and you end up with less matches or arrows in your quiver at the end of the year than you had in the beginning. So time trying at the end of the year, when you're feeling a little burnt, um, also can just show you like, whew, like obviously I overdid it this season because I am raced out. I got no more anything left in my tank and my metrics got worse. That's a clear sign of burnout. You overdid it. You raced too much. You trained too little. You didn't recover well enough. Or you time trial and you actually PR and you say, wow, this, like, this worked. I found the right balance and hit the end of the season feeling good. And so time trialing, no matter how you feel, is often a very smart and purposeful indicator of how your racing and training throughout the year panned out and left you at this point in time. And so even though your top end potential or fitness could be better, you may not perform better if you've overcooked your season. However, mm -hmm. if you planned it appropriately, you still should be time trialing and PRing at this time of year. I, just for reference, because there will be a few people out there who went out and just raced far too often. They raced three out of four weekends all year, you know, and they're just cooked. 
And then there's going to be some who yeah. held back a little bit. So point being, we can move on, but continue with what you were going to say. Well, what we're about to do is take a deload after this and then start building the blocks of what's required to do well next year. And this is a really good time, A, to jump on a plan of some sort if you're ready to do that, even if it's self-written. Now is the time to start writing it. Yep. But it's a great time to look back and take stock of what you actually gained this year. Not talking about medals, not talking about podiums, but fitness. Because at the end, of, let's say this was a financial year. You would look back and either say, wow, I have the exact same amount of money I started with. Yep. I spent everything I earned. Or I have I saved some money this year. Or you might look back and be like, wow, I, I have less net worth than what I started with. And that's the same thing with fitness. You're going to realize one of those three things. And it's such a powerful time to look back and think, what if I had just done blank? Like for the athlete, like you talked about, who maybe raced a ton, it might have been pivoting from one race style to another, to another, to another, and they can't draw a common thread of training structure throughout their year. They might look back and go, I raced all this time and I arrived at the same type of fitness, but I think I've lost some endurance or speed. What if I had just done blank all year round and not really focused on any one race, maybe done some skill work for some of them. But what if I just trained right all the way through? I think I might even be ahead of where I am right now. Even though it seems so important to pivot constantly throughout the year, I might not have actually built anything up. So this is a great time to look back through your training and try to identify what were my common threads. And if the only common thread is that there aren't any, and it's a really great way to start your off season. Yeah. What I've actually noticed with myself, it's like, um, when in doubt, threshold it out. Meaning like, <laughs> like you've done some spicy workouts, you've done some pain cave workouts and you're like, I haven't done any stay power work in three or four weeks, like something grindy, grindy ish, long extended. It's like always, uh, for that's something I've learned like this, this spring, summer, and now into fall, keeping high in fitness. And I think still improving based on my metrics. I just ran in a workout yesterday is like, if I'm ever questioning what I should do, go long, just like we had in our episode, what two last, was it last week? When in doubt, go longer mm -hmm. train for the race distance up. It's like, okay, even if I want to run a fast 5k, I'm going to go do 45 minutes of tempo work because that always seems to keep the fitness moving along instead of like running into a dead end by just hitting one spicy workout after another short one, another short one finding it's a little lesson I've learned. For example, when you say looking back on your year, I'm like, Oh, I can propel my fitness forward by just always mm -hmm. falling back on a threshold or tempo workout instead of choosing the short, spicy, flashy one. And, um, that's what I learned this season, so to speak. So what was that for you? I guess is what I'm getting at is you probably could look back and think, think about what, what needs work. So then what do you, what do you do with that then? Like, what do you, so if you have people reflecting on their year, what's the next step as far as when we approach um, this phase? Well, then you start making rules for yourself where let's say I completely whiffed on staying power workouts. Mm -hmm. I totally went in on intensity and sexy circuit work and Metcons and race specific work. And I just forgot about long hill work, long threshold work grindy long runs. I forgot about that. Then you start setting rules. You write them down on paper. I must always do blank. Just like I had a, a while back when we talked about the things that I did with this after surgery, looking back through, I must have, and I respond to hills. 
I respond to frequency of training. I respond to threshold work. I like spicy work, but I respond to threshold work and then some mechanical structured speed work. You start writing down your rules, things you know to be true about yourself, things that you have missed in the past that you want to have now. And we talked about this a little bit in that preamble to an episode where we talked about what if you were trapped in a hotel room for for a year and you could only do blank? What if I could only stair run for a year? What if I could only incline run for a year? What if I could only run long runs for a year? If I could choose any one of those things, the things I missed, Mm -hmm. let's say I missed VO2 max work, 5K pace work. What if I only did that for a year? Would I be better or worse than now? You'd probably be worse. What if I only did marathon pace work for a year? You might be a monster. So you start that. If I only did one thing that I missed instead of everything else I did, and I can say I would be better arguably or the same if I only did that one versus all the other things. Now we know that must be a firm basis of what I do moving forward. You don't have to do only that, but realizing if I have this percentage of what I'm doing and I'd be even better off doing nothing but one thing that has to have a significant role moving forward. And I think identifying out every one of your non dispensables, the things you can't get rid of, you need a list of what you must have in training moving forward based off what you screwed up in the past. Yeah, that's uh, true. We should always be learning. I mean, I'm still, Mm -hmm. I mean, and also it's a moving target for people as far as what you're learning, like what you noticed when you were 25 is not going to be the same what you notice at 32 and what you notice at 32 I'm learning is not nearly what my body is now giving me at 39. And so it's a moving target as well. So you should always be reassessing, um, in my opinion. And yes, folks, we are talking about the off season and we did it last year around this time and we did it the year before around this time. And you will get this once a year, maybe twice a year because it's relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, so what does that mean then? Um, whether you are on the running public training plan or you're on your own, okay, this is irrelevant. What is our recommendation or what will people be seeing on the running public training plan? Well, just like people need to look back through and decide what does and doesn't work, we look back through what we do with ourselves and our athletes. And it just always hits us that you can never have too much staying power. However, you still need to have the ability to run fast and run with some economic movement and some efficiency when you run. And those are buzzwords, but they're also real. Like you can run at five minute pace thrashing and you can run relaxed at five minute pace. So moving forward with the running public plan, it's starting up your base building, doing some aerobic development, but we are going to have the skill components of running involved there. And when in doubt, they're going to be hill-based because you really can't hurt yourself running uphill. Yep. I don't want to put that out as a challenge to people because I'm sure someone could find a way to, (laughs) but it's a good, safe way to do it. Avoid pounding, keep it interesting. So we're going to have volume building. We're going to have, for lack of better terms, speed skill work, speed sprinkles. And we're going to have an emphasis on starting to derive power in the weight room. Love it. Yeah. I have a couple athletes. I got two in particular right now who it's like, here's what's holding you back your top end potential. You're just too slow. You're just too slow. Mm -hmm. You want a podium? Great. You can go grind out an ultra? Great. But you're never going to podium at anything. If What is that saying? And I had this conversation with him. It's like, now you don't need to be a 15-minute 5K to win the Leadville 100 or something, but 
nobody has won it who isn't or something like that. It's something, what is that saying? Running a 15 minute 5k doesn't mean you're going to be good in Leadville, but you can't win Leadville without running 15 exactly. minutes. And so, yeah, that was better. And I Thanks. think it was Western States. Western States. Thanks for saving me there. Being that fast doesn't guarantee you're going to be good, but you can't be good without being fast. You can't be that good without being fast. And so, for example, what you're saying, and I think getting faster at shorter duration can often move the needle just as much as getting improving your threshold and stay power. So to outline what you'd said, the plan is like 30-30 intervals or even 30-60 intervals, short, high-intensity, work on your biomechanical efficiency, coupling that with longer grindy threshold or tempo-style work. Working both ends of the spectrum, but not often the in-between stuff, which is where we build our VO2 max and we build our like things like that. So case in point, um, that's one way to approach it. And it's also really good, like that style that you're talking about and that we're going to be prescribing is also really good for like race ready style, meaning like let's say a race pops up on your calendar in December and even though on the plan or on your own self-prescribed plan, you're in base building phase. Yeah, but you're three weeks out mm -hmm. from feeling pretty damn good if you so choose. And that's really the appropriate base phases. Staying sharp on your skill set, which means like still allowing your body to run fast, but we're not trying to do this big volume of work running fast, which could then pigeonhole us into fitness too early. But you're kind of ready if you decide a Jacksonville race in February pumps you up or whatever to, to dive in. And that's really yeah. where you should sit in the appropriate base phase is touching on all skills, just not spending a lot of time in that, like, what would you call that VO2 max phase where you're running three to seven minute intervals and hating your life the whole time, so to speak. Yeah. And even that, I don't want to go too far down this road, but even that you could modulate and do it well. Sure. Instead of doing four, five, six, seven minute intervals, you do one, two, and three minute intervals at that. And you still take the rest you would take at three, four or five minute intervals. That'd be really hard to burn out on that. You could do that year round. Yep. 400s at 5k pace mm -hmm. with 400 jog recovery that'd be really hard to burn out on true because that's not one of those that would just rip you up it also wouldn't drive as much benefit but you could do it long term but yeah the point would be you're not doing hate your life workouts you're doing skill work intervals yep so not that we need to get too far ahead on this oh, old west dallas coming through over there aren't they bracken got the sirens going it's not an episode. Church without, bells going and sirens. Yeah, some sort of, yep, distraction. Um, where was I going that uh, threw me off? I don't know. Oh, I was going to ask. Um, so we can just kind of get that out there. And yeah, we're plugging our plan a little bit today, but we don't do that enough. So you're going to have to tolerate it. Um, where does this build? But these are universal conversations. Well, right. This is you can do this with yourself. Correct. This is applicable if you're making your own training plan or um, picking it picking uh, workouts off of the internet, which some people do as well. Go to runner's world, pick a few they like. Um, I've done it. So have I. So uh, going to Instagram and stealing mine, for example, perfect, do it. But mm -hmm. how does it fit into your program? So like, what is the long-term scope of this? Like if we're saying, okay, we're going to enter base building or off-season training now, mid-October, let's call it. Um, like what's the trajectory? How does it build? Um, what are the timelines on all of this? Well, here's how we're going to do it on the plan. And that only matters as far as it does, but it could matter to you because if we're giving it to someone else, it's because we believe in it and you can use this for yourself. Yep. So we are going to build aerobically, which means not going to go very anaerobic very often, fast, hard workouts, or even grindy workouts for the vast majority of our runs. And we're going to do that as long as it takes to build up the skill component of what's required for the next stage of training. 
So this is how it would look in theory. I'll, I'll just say this is a training I'm doing with with a gentleman named Andy that we started working with recently. He doesn't have a lot of race goals currently. He just wants to be prepared for next year. Yep. So we started with hill sprints, 22nd hill sprints as one of his quality days. He'd do that eight to 10 times or until he felt his, and just walk down easy rest or until he felt his form start to change a little bit, they had to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And when he finished that, then he just went out for a 35 to 45 minute run. That would be considered a skill day. So let's say on day one, you can only get six of those. Well, the rest of your week, you're doing a lot of, I got a motorcycle starting up here. (laughs) That one's not too, just sirens are louder. This ain't bad. Are they? He's about to rev up, I think. Yeah. Showing who's showing everybody who's boss out there. Ooh, and bells. Oh yeah, noon they play for like twelve minutes straight. Dude, we got sirens, motorcycle, and bells all within like a couple minutes. That's fantastic. It's the West Dallas trifecta. It's not. Too, it's not too distracting. I think you can continue. Uh, and so week one, you get four to six of those, and you build out aerobically, and we start building up your long run as well. And then week two, you build up to seven or eight and week three, eight to 10. And then he got to the point where he can do 10. And now we're adding bounds in front of it. So now five to 10 bounds per leg explosively into a 20 second hill sprint. In week one, he's probably going to get five bounds per leg and then 20 second hill sprint, maybe get six reps. But once he can get up to 10 bounds per leg, 10 reps of 20 second hill sprints, plus his 45 minute run afterwards, He's accrued all of that impacting the ground hard, springing off the ground, running with good hip stability, impacting with his calves and soleus, towing off well, keeping good driving power in line front back rather than leaking energy out to the sides. He's ready for the next stage of whatever happens. But in that progression, that's like a nine-week progression. So we're going to do roughly nine weeks of base building. So it's not that you need nine weeks to build the perfect aerobic base. I don't think your aerobic base, quote in quote, in quotes there is ever really complete unless you've done like 10 plus years of running consistently, but nine weeks is enough that you've got a good amount of that built. You're going to start to get diminishing returns on that aerobic development, but you've also built the, the necessary skills, speed work and impact resistance wise to be prepared for what is next, whether that's threshold training or quality long runs or downhill work, whatever that's going to be. So that's one example of how you could build an off-season base. You know what I think about off-season base? Whenever you choose to take it, whether it's now and following our plan, or if you're like, hey, I got a big A race in November, and then I'm going to go into this, whatever it is. I really, when you sit back, you take it and you simplify it. What I believe is the best approach universally, meaning like there's exceptions to every, every rule, is Give yourself eight weeks, roughly, give or take, of a time in which whatever races you have off in the distance don't, or even during your base time, don't impact your decision-making process with the workouts you're doing during base phase. Meaning, I understand that no matter what's in the future, or if I have the local Jingle Bell run that I do every December and I like to go tear it up. It doesn't change your training plan. No matter what, you're like, I'm going to stick to my process in this amount of time, not get distracted or overexcited about a race or trying to be like, but I have OCRs in February and I need to be doing my compromised work. You know, I need to keep that skill in the bank. For example, it's more like give yourself two months roughly of just put your head down, follow a process 
and then worry about getting specific as the time draws near is really what it is. Whatever mm-hmm. arrow needs to be sharpened in your quiver, you can, of course, focus on that a little bit without the distraction of worrying about the next thing. It's just like a bit of what I've been doing recently, honestly, is I'm not worried about anything in particular. I'm just doing things that I believe are moving the fitness needle for me. And when I choose to pick something to chase, I'm going to be ready because I've been laying that foundation and working on uh, weaknesses, so to speak. So I think it's just like simplify it. Give yourself a two-month window where you just train and you, what they call, become a cyborg or monk mode where you just go and hit work. Don't worry about the future. Just worry about today for like eight weeks of today's in a row. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be an aerobic base build. You can go into that Norwegian style double threshold training. Hmm. Go right into that. Hold that for eight weeks. Those guys do that almost year round anyway. Mm. It's not about no, it's not that no type of work is, is illegal or that any type is illegal during this time. It's that recovery must be respected during it. If you take enough rest in between, you don't burn out. Yep. You may not reap the rewards as quickly if you stack workouts four days apart rather than two. Sure, it's going to take longer to build fitness, but you're also not going to burn out and you can build your aerobic capabilities concurrently. You could go into a CrossFit block for eight weeks and just easy running. If you're terrible at compromised movements or running or you want to do hybrid work, you could go into a speed block. There's really nothing wrong with doing a speed block of training, two to three intense short speed workouts per week preceding your race build. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want. You just have to make sure that you get to the end of it ready to embrace the next stage, not get to the end of it and need a rest. Yeah. And a good way to prevent, like the point is, is like in base phase, you're not trying to hit like an overreaching phase of training, which basically means high volume is meeting high intensity for you. And pretty soon you're just cooked, tired all the time. And you're not adapted or you're not adapted because you're not recovered from the workload. We don't want to reach that phase in like a base building. We sort of want to allow ourselves to feel springy at times, allow ourselves to feel recovered, And it's also, if you're not on the running public training plan, it's a good time to like intuitively train your quality days. Meaning like you can forget the Monday through uh, Sunday schedule, the seven day cycle. You can say, okay, I want to go hit some sort of threshold cut down workout on this week. And then I'm going to recover until I am excited to run my long run, let's say, or something next. And maybe that means you did a quality on a Wednesday because you didn't feel right about it on a Tuesday and your long run comes the following Monday. It doesn't really matter, but the idea is to just sort of like, it's not the time to like buck up and like, well, it's Tuesday. I gotta like, it's the time to like really Mm -hmm. be intuitive and listen to your body and make sure you're getting to the next workout hungry instead of getting there being like, Oh, I got to do this today. It's like that Like we want to feel invigorated, not broken down. And that's like the other thing about base phase that I think is important for people. Like it gets over, oversimplified, like not simplified, but misconstrued. Like, oh, just go out and run a bunch of slow miles and plod along and just kind of feel dull and slow. Like that's not what base phase or off season training should feel like. It should more be like, ah, I feel invigorated when I'm going out there because I'm not pushing through because I have nothing on my calendar in the next two months that I really need to dial in perfectly for. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And you have to identify what athlete are you personality-wise. Are you going to run amok with freedom or is it going to rejuvenate you? Mm-hmm. Kirk runs well with freedom. I run well with a script. That's yeah, true. So I need to script out very, very in minuscule pieces my off-season training. 
Whereas Kirk needs to go run as he feels. I'm the exact. I don't think until the day before I'm like intuitively, what do I need? Or should I even play with fire today? Or should I wait another day? It's very true. Yeah. And we could be as much as we agree on. We're very opposite that way. Yeah. And I know it's because I'm not to be trusted. I'm going to revert to the things I like in quote unquote the most, the things that historically I remember liking. But whenever I get into a block of training of any type, I like the training. I just revert to the things that I did for years, which was high-end anaerobic training, which doesn't help me in this current day and age. Like, what's the point? There is no race that I need that type of get up and go for. I need pieces of that in speed sprinkles, but really I need to build an engine. And so I need to script that out. Otherwise, I'm just going to go back to doing the things I want to do. But the good thing about me is whatever training I'm doing, I like. So I can do that and be happy at the same time. And since I know that about myself, I can script things out. Mm -hmm. Another way to approach the off season is to say, here's what I want to be able to do next year. And I'm going to work towards getting that. So for example, I want to be able to run seven to 10 hours every week next year. So right now I'm trying to hit seven to 10 hours of movement every week. And right now it's probably four and a half hours of running and the rest is other And over the course of my quote unquote base building, I'm trying to fill more and more of that time with my feet, but I'm hitting at the same time versions of quality in there. So I'm, I've been doing a, if you've seen on my Strava, I've been doing a stair workout every week. It's not super high end because I can't, but I'm getting used to being on the stairs for 40 to 60 minutes. That's a precursor to hill work, but I don't have to hammer down steep hills right now. I'm doing my five, four, three, two, one threshold work because I can't do 45 minutes of running threshold right now. But by the end of this building block, in theory, I'm going to be able to do all those things, but I'll have graduated up each week. So I have five, four, three, two, one written on my Sundays. And last week, two, one was, uh, was, uh, was strike through. And I highlighted that. I didn't get to that. I wasn't able to. You start working too hard or breaking down a little bit chose to pull the plug. Yeah. It was just to the point where I was, I was too trashed. I'm not supposed to be trashed in this workout. It's a threshold workout, but I was, I was about to be trashed. So I called it the first week I got partway through the three and I called it. So my goal is to fill out that entire five, four, three, two, one, eventually, eventually it's going to be five, four, three, two, and then 250 feet of vert and then 500 and then seven feet and then a full thousand. And once I can do the whole workout two weeks in a row, I'm ready to move on into now let's replace one of those with another run. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm filling up. I have the bucket full, but I'm filling it with more and more running each week so that my training volume is there and I'm replacing it with my actual sports specific movement as my body can handle more. Yeah. Another um, question I often get asked at this time, or I have to ask from like one-on-one athletes of mine is like, well... Like, I know it's building a base is important or going into some sort of off season is important, but me and my family do the jingle belt that run every year, the turkey mm-hmm. trot. And I really, there's this race that popped up, this new trail race that popped up and I really want to hit it. It looks like fun, but I know I'm in offs. Like, what do I do? Like, how do you, how do you navigate a few races in base building or off season training? And I want to say, follow up in the fact where I said, well, you should take eight weeks, give or take, where you just put your head down, do what you should do regardless as to races on your schedule. That doesn't change if races pop up. It's okay to race 
occasionally during off-season or base phase training. It doesn't mean we have to pull that joy away from you. That's not what we're saying at all. It just means like we're not trying to peak. We're not trying to taper in. We're not trying to go out there and run our best race necessarily, even though you very well can in this phase of training, believe it or not. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you can pop one. Um, We just don't let those – we just plug those races in as a quality day and we stick to the script sort of no matter what. Maybe you deload a day or two before if it's a – it's a longer race you need to freshen up for but nonetheless point being is it is okay to race if those things pop up it's okay to do those things it's just like don't allow it to impact um your training just stay the course and get the skill work or the purpose of that week's training done in your quality session whatever that is that week and then go ahead and race and enjoy it and then get back to the script afterwards we just don't let that distract our process and then it's okay to race in this phase yeah and i think it can be important for people to do this because when, when almost everyone started running for the first time, they jumped into races off whatever they were doing in life. Yep. Ran a 5K with friends, jumped into a triathlon, did a thing, a, a turkey trot every year with my family. You weren't dependent upon being in a stage of training. You didn't walk up to it knowing, oh, I can't PR because I haven't done any VO2 max work or I haven't done any race, or I'm only in my base building phase. You didn't know about those things. You didn't care about it. And it was just kind of fun to race. And then we get to this point where we're almost, we are almost dependent upon knowing I've done things sequentially to do well. And you see it, people post, well, I was really happy to do this, especially since I'm only in whatever phase of training, like knock it off, <laughs> just race to race. And, and I would challenge people to do races in off season and don't post what stage of training you're in. Mm-hmm. Your Instagram audience doesn't need to know you're in base training. Like we don't put an asterisk on your race results. We don't care. We think it's cool. You went out and did a sweet trail race. We don't care what your pace was compared to last time because you haven't been doing VO2 max. No one cares. Just have fun with it. Race hard and get used to being out there and just letting it rip with no agenda and without any asterisks. And then by the time you get into what you would consider doing the prerequisite pieces to race well, you're just that much further ahead. Yeah. One of the greats in OCR, Lindsay Webster, does that almost every season. Other than this one, I believe, which was a little bit of an exception for her. She goes into the first races like in base phase, still goes and races hard. She rarely makes excuses. Sometimes she'll, she just casually will acknowledge like, hey, I'm not trying to peak for these things. I'm looking at the season long term. And you race, I mean some of the best race their first races in base phase or off season training. You hear people like, um, who did I hear the other day? Uh, not Cole Hawker. Who's his dang running teammate? Um, 5k guy. Oh my God. I follow him on Instagram. We're terrible. He's injured right now. I believe what the heck this is going to bother me. Everybody at home's like, Oh my Why can't we think of this? This is ridiculous. I can picture his dang Cooper tier. God, I'm an idiot. All right. Cooper tier saying like first race of the season's coming up or whatever. And they just started implementing their first quality workout on the track, like a week and a half prior. And they're traveling Mm -hmm. across country or across oceans to go race on a track, which is their specialty. And they held off to do their first quality track session 10 days before their first race like that they're professional athletes living off of this sport but understanding the scope of their season means we need to still follow a process in order to race well when we want to and that means 
sticking to the script, even if races pop up and knowing that you're not setting yourself yeah. up for your most success at the very top level of the sport where these athletes are getting paid to do this. I mean, let's be honest. If I said, okay, you got a Spartan race in, in February in Jacksonville and you waited until February to do your first OCR compromise workout the week before you'd be like, that's silly. But is it silly? I don't know. I'm just saying yeah. that following the process, all I'm getting at again is I'm just beating this India today. I feel like it's a message that needs to be heard, I guess, is mm-hmm. it's following your process that you set out to do with the long-term progression in mind. Well, and I want to remind people that at the finish line, no one wants to hear what phase of training you're in. On on social media, people don't want to hear because anyone you beat, it just makes them feel even worse that, oh yeah, I wasn't even like in great shape or I wasn't peaking for this and I still beat you. And anyone that beats you, it's like, well, you're just diminishing that I beat you. Mm-hmm. And anyone who's following you is, it's just like a distasteful thing. We all, I've done it. We all feel like we have to justify what we did. I remember when I ran my 5k PR, I posted like really like crazy. I'd never expected a PR, especially in, in this phase of training. Mm-hmm. Like I was excited about it, but that's distasteful. No one wants to hear that. One of the great philosophers of our time, Lil Wayne, he said, real G's move in silence like lasagna. <laughs> I mean, just think about that quote for a second. True brilliance really is. That's silent G and lasagna. Real G's move in silence like lasagna. And that's like the best way to be. Show up unannounced, handle your business, smile, be an awesome person and head out afterwards. I just move in silence. No one needs to know how many days ago you started running or what phase of training you're in or how many spicy workouts you did or didn't hit. Just move in silence. That re- that reminds me of the song, Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangsta, where <laughs> really the, there's, there's fantastic life advice in Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangsta. And and in the song, they're talking about being a gangster means like taking care of business on your side of the street. And like, mm-hmm. like being a gangster doesn't mean being a gangster. It means being a gangster. It means like yeah. What does it say? A real gangster doesn't flex because he knows he has it or exactly. something like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Go listen. You don't have to. Go listen to "Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster." Good life perspective in there when it comes to everything. <laughs> Didn't think we'd get here today, yet here we are. Yeah. Little Wayne made an appearance. Bless. All right. I think we've talked enough about it, but I actually want to hear if you have any Mm -hmm. of your takeaways from looking at your season, because I like with athletes of mine, with people I work one-on-one with, I have a header at the top of every block of training. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's rebuild. Sometimes it's like high rocks dominance. Sometimes it's redemption. Sometimes it's as simple as um, mountain prep. But we have a we have a header on the top of every block of training to remind us what and why. So that when you're in the middle of it, you just look up and say, yeah, that's right. Keep my eye on the prize. We are working on threshold development here. Don't get sidetracked. So I have a heading for for my whole season. Well, if you had to put a header on what you're doing this year to keep you focused, eye on the prize, what would your header be? It's going to sound silly, but all bread, no meat. All bread, no meat. Explain. <laughs> um, I am realizing with myself um, that the middle ground, which would be the, the stuff that goes in the sandwich. Like, that sandwich ain't a sandwich without the bread, right? Like, that sandwich is no sandwich without the bread. And the bread, for me, is long, grindy threshold and tempo work and short, fast, skill-based sessions. And that middle ground in between, I'm finding, 
is the least important to moving the fitness needle for me. I've learned that. Like I'm either out there putting in lots of quality time in this session or I'm hitting short, fast, 100-foot gain repeats or 60-60. But that middle ground is only sprinkled in. I don't need a lot in the middle. My sandwich like isn't a sandwich without the bread, right? And so it's the polar ends of the spectrum for me is my headline. All sandwich, no meat. Because that my body is responding to and I need to embrace that instead of going out and hitting mile repeats all the time or these three to five minute intervals which suck and are very painful and they're purposeful. But I'm finding the ends of the spectrum are the meat and potatoes of what moves my fitness needle. So that would be my header. And a lot of people would consider that the middle ground, Mm -hmm. that 5K, 10K work. You're not doing as much of that. There's some 10K in there. Well, yeah, I'll sprinkle it in, right? Like you don't just want to eat bread all day. You got to, you know. Put but you're grinding or you're spicy. Correct. And I think that covers the ends of the spectrum where I'm remaining fast, but I'm also remaining durable. And there's a time and place when I'm trying to get ready for a race coming up where that three to seven minute interval range is very effective for me. Um, but 95% of my fitness gains are coming from polar opposite ends of the spectrum, the bread. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. I like that. Yeah. What about you? Well, mine currently says Triple H training, Kirk. <laughs> what do the H's stand for? I The emphasis for the season is high volume, hill-based hybrid training. Mm. Those are the things I respond to. So in reverse order, hybrid training, all strength work or circuit or Metcon or compromise will be done under the auspices of the hybrid workload. DECA and Hyrox. Those type of training and stadium I'd throw in there. Those type of training uh, modalities and and exercises my body responds to because they're athletic based. Mm-hmm. And I like dynamic movement. I like it a lot and I respond well to it. I respond to strength training in general. And so I might as well do it in a way that's fun, makes me feel healthier and is race specific. I have some hybrid plans for next year. But high volume training and hills are the things that in the past have been best for me. High volume, high frequency, not high mileage, but high volume, high frequency. And whenever possible, a good percentage of, a percentage of it done on hills. It's never a bad decision to choose going up. No. And so very much like you, like I'm going to be thresholdy or grindy, or I'm going to be doing speed sprinkles. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be living in the VO2 max world. I can sharpen down to that at any time, but I need to be a grinder. High volume, high frequency, live big effort to big effort with lots of frequency in between. My daily runs, if I'm doing 30 minutes or 60 minutes, doesn't really push the needle. But if I'm doing multiple efforts daily, a bike and a run or a a hike and a run, those kind of things, those push my my fitness uh, metrics ahead. And hitting high volume workouts, those really work for me. So Triple H training, high volume, hill-based hybrid training. It sounds more catchy than all bread, no meat. It just all ended up being H's. Mm-hmm. But the emphasis is on developing aerobic and anaerobic thresholds this year. I don't need to do anything sexy. I just need to do mechanical speed work and grindy work. Just for like an entire calendar year and try to undo these last three years of surgeries. And I believe I can race even effectively this year off that. Oh, I know you can. Especially now that you know you're not as slow as you thought you were. Oh, my goodness. When I told you I was 30 to 60 seconds off per mile per any pace of where I need to be, it's probably more like 20 to 40. Mm-hmm. I already got better just by adjusting my <laughs> That's got to feel good. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, just off off a quick question that Bracken asked, we are reevaluating or evaluating our training often enough. We're like Bracken and I already know our plan to success, or at least to building foundations for success. Mm-hmm. So you just got to ask yourself those simple questions. If you're not sort of microanalyzing your day to day, like or not not microanalyzing, but the opposite of that, just like big picture analyzing what has done well for you gravitate towards that try to decide what you feel your body responds best to with a long-term development in mind and then sort of filter that into your base season and off season in like a uh i don't know in like a manageable approach not Mm -hmm. too much of anything just the right amounts of the things you believe your body responds best to right now um this phase of training shouldn't be flashy nor fancy when you look at it on paper be like Oftentimes you'll see people get out of this phase when it's done right and be like, I don't know how I got as good as I did, but I did. It's kind of how I'm finding myself. Like, I don't know how I got this fast, but I did. And I haven't done anything that flashy. And so like the right off season or base phase can actually lead you into feeling that way, which is indicative of you nailing it. So try to accomplish that if you can. That'd be the dream. That is. Mm -hmm. And you're the perfect reminder that you're putting up all these workouts now and people are going to steal them and they are. But these workouts didn't get you to these workouts. Mm-hmm. You can do these workouts with the fitness you built doing everything else this year. And now you can flash some things from time to time like, whew, that is a big needle moving workout. But it didn't get you to this point. And we right now are about to get ourselves to that point. Yep. That's what this offseason is for. Yeah, precisely. So I hope you got something out of this today. I know it's a little bit of rambling, but also just good reminders. I think... If anything, it's just a time to start to reflect and then project on what went mm-hmm. well or poorly and then what we need to change moving forward. Now is the time that typically these next three months are the typically the time that moves the needle the most for 2023 without even realizing it. And so yeah. um, thinking this through is important right now. It is. And shameless plug, like if you want help with that, jump on the running public training plan. It's super cheap. It's $19 a month. And we everything we talked about here today, we are going to have in that plan. Now is probably the most seamless time to jump over would be sometime in the next week. Yeah. Or the next month, depending on what you have going on. I'd say you yeah. could get into it a little late. This is the month to, to gift Christmas ahead of time to someone. And you know what I used to do when I was on my way out with uh, your old coaching platform leaderboard, when I started to self-coach, which I made that transition, um, was I would just screenshot the quality workouts and save them all in a cache. And then if Mm -hmm. I was the one who I said the example of, um, you know, intuitively training, meaning I'm not ready for Tuesday yet, or my schedule doesn't allow for it. Well, what I would do and what you can do if you're one who needs to just go on your own plan is get on our training plan, screenshot the workouts, put them in your cache for later, and then hit them when your body is ready, even if you don't stick to our script. Like this is an investment in your future training. Is it stealing? No, you're paying for it. That's exactly what this is here to do is to help improve your your knowledge base and your learning curve. And so if you're not one who wants to stick to a script or needs more recovery than others or anything, get on the plan and then save what we are offering and then hit them when your body is ready. So even if you're not ready to go into base phase, you could hop on the plan and learn how we build it from the start regardless. Think about how invaluable that is. So that's another angle to even hop on the plan, non-shameless plug. That's it. <laughs> we promote that. Screenshot it. Use it. We got these workouts from somewhere. Outside of the OCR workouts, we didn't really invent anything. 
we're stringing them together maybe a little differently than some people. But we have invented some specific OCR, specifically compromised or hill workouts. Mm-hmm. Sure, but the principles of those all came from somewhere. Yep. Exactly. The magic isn't the workout, it's how you how you mix it up together in the the stew of your season. So knock yourself out. Um to end, Bracken, what do you think of my t shirt I'm wearing today? It's so, so pretty. It really is. Does it bring out the uh blue in my eyes? If it were there, it would be popping. The only thing holding you folks back, I've had a couple messages about I need that t shirt or I need I posted a video wearing our olive new running public t-shirt and I got a couple messages. Only thing holding back from getting them up on the website is me having a sexy photo shoot in these t-shirts so we can put them up. And we're going to do that in the next couple of days. Me and Jess are going to have a little sexy photo shoot and then they'll be up. So um, shirts are going to be live this week. I don't know what day, but they're coming at you. So they're they're going to be here. I might not mind. I, I don't have mine yet either, people. So You don't. That's why I'm rubbing Just it in my hold every, on your horses. Every episode recording, I'm going to wear a different one of the new ones to make sure that you feel good and jealous. I'm going to start body painting shirts on me <laughs> and wear that for the episodes. Some people are into that. That's commitment to whatever that is. Yes, it is. All right, we're done. Let's get out of here. See you, folks. <laughs> and this episode of The Running Public is brought to you by us and The Running Public Training Plan. This running plan has everything we ever talk about on any Training Tuesday, all compiled into one all-encompassing training plan. Now, it's an OCR-specific training plan, but 95% of this is just running. So it doesn't matter if you're training for an OCR or a marathon or whatever. It all is in there. Speed work, threshold, hill work, up, down, long run, long qualities, and plenty of compromised running. Everything we talk about is just waiting for you. That's right. The hardest part about creating your own training schedule is deciding what to do the next day or that day. We take care of that for you, which I think is worth the uh, $19.99 a month in itself. It's cheap, right? And you can cancel at any time. If you've been curious about it or you don't know how to put together all the knowledge we share on the podcast into your own training plan, it's a no-brainer. Where can people go find this uh, this training plan and get signed up, Bragging? On our beautiful website, therunningpublic.com, $19.99 a month. Cancel anytime you want.